So before I get started, when I told my family, my brother Paul especially, who is a real storyteller, I told my brother Paul about I was going to be preaching today. And he said, uh, make sure your dentures are glued in. And well, I don't have dentures. Um, if you see my teeth come out today, we have a bigger issue at hand. And I pray there are medical personnel in the audience. Um, <laughs> he was at the christening. Uh, I come from the Anglican Church, the Episcopalian Church back in Canada. So... My niece, um, Kate, was being christened, we call it in that faith, and the preacher was an old English guy, and he was bringing on some fire and brimstone. I think he had the gas turned up on high. And as he was delivering his message, out come the chompers. He grabbed him in one thump, popped him back in, and off he goes. Now, I'm sharing that not for humor necessarily, but to share that I hope I'm nearly as polished and as put together as, as we go through this. But uh, I can only imagine my middle brother, Jeremy, probably was on the verge of being thrown out of that place that day, <laughs> just because we find humor in a lot of things. But on a more, more serious note, uh, I'm excited to start us on our journey through our new sermon series this month, which will include us, introduce us, excuse me, to four of the main themes at the very heart of Christmas. The holiday season with consumerism, Trees, meals, gifts, parties. Sometimes those can be a distraction, and I don't want to suggest that any one of those things is necessarily or inherently evil or bad. What makes those things complicated is when they distract us from what the season is supposed to be about. For, for us as Christians, this season really is about the Christ child. And during this series, we'll look at how hope, peace, joy, and love are at the heart of Christmas. And I'm sure we could use a little hope this Christmas season or at any point in our lives, right? Well, let's first look at how hope is defined according to the ever-famous Merriam-Webster. So hope is to cherish a desire with anticipation, to want something to happen or to be true, to desire with expectation of obtainment or fulfillment. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? And I can also see the parallels there in our faith. But what does hope mean to you? Anyone willing to share? That's a dirty word sometimes, share. Does hope mean to you you have enough money in the bank to pay all the bills and provide food for your family this month? You hope Duke never wins another basketball game. <laughs> There's times I wish Lance was still here. You hope ECU wins one more football game this year. It's been a little dry, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to lie. You hope I don't ramble on for an hour and say nothing and <laughs> make you late for lunch. You hope maybe to have a special gift under the tree this Christmas. Again, nothing wrong with that hope as long as it's in context. You hope the doctor gives you good news, but the cancer hasn't returned. You hope that you and your spouse can work through your differences and save your marriage. Lots of different things qualifies hope. It can be both a noun and a verb, and I'm not going into the, that discussion, but it's a very widely used word. So why bring this up? <clears throat> this morning, we will discover and explore the hope that comes to us through the birth of Jesus Christ. What's our big idea? The birth of Jesus is the fulfillment of hope for all of us. I'm going to read that again. The birth of Jesus is the fulfillment of hope 
for all of us. The prophet Isaiah writes one of the most classic of all Old Testament prophecies about the coming birth of Christ. The passage he writes is born of gloom and darkness. The world had felt the full weight of sin and it had wreaked havoc on all of God's creation. What Isaiah offered in chapter 9 was something the Jewish people needed more than anything, and that was hope. Hope that one day someone would come to make all things right and restore what had been broken. The birth of Jesus was the fulfillment of that hope, and this fact offers us hope in our lives still today. Let us pray. Father God, we humbly come to you this morning in need of hope. Hope that you are faithful and have provided all we need by sending your Son to us. We ask that the light of this life, his life, would shine into our lives. We offer to you the areas of our lives where we need your presence daily. We trust you today with our very lives and we look forward to seeing how you will come through. Thank you for the hope that can only come from you. Thank you for showing us the heart of Christmas. Amen. So I remember growing up as a child in uh, rural Newfoundland, Canada. So no, I'm not from here. Uh, I've called this home since 1999. And I am a U.S. citizen, so I'm gonna, I plan on staying. Um, but I would get so excited at Christmas. I mean, like stick an electrode on one end of me and the other and I could light up a place. Uh, just bubbling over with excitement especially on Christmas Eve. And I think my parents, if they're watching this morning, which is certainly attest, uh, that there were many a Christmas Eve I got little to no sleep. Um, I was just bubbling over with excitement and hope about what might be under the tree the next morning. And thanks to my antics, I'm sure my parents are grateful for it, they, they got little to no sleep as well. But our parents, my parents raised me going to church, and I've long believed what the true meaning of Christmas truly is. That said, I was a kid. No matter how strong or deep my faith, I still had hope for what might be under that tree the next morning, hidden behind that beautiful, colorful wrapping paper. I would imagine some of us, are, some of us still have some of those tingles of hope on Christmas Eve, not perhaps for our own desires, but to see the excitement on the faces of our children as they live out the hope that a certain special gift might be under that tree. And again, I want to, want to clarify, nothing inherently wrong with that, as long as it doesn't distract us from what the true meaning is. And as I've gotten older now, a fact that my daughter tends to remind me of, um, and I've got a family of my own, I still have some earthly hope on Christmas morning. After all, most folks enjoy a little surprise once in a while, wouldn't you say? The fact of the matter is my true, real Hope is soundly rooted in Jesus Christ. The reason there is hope at the heart of Christmas is not because of gifts, but because of the birth of Jesus Christ. His arrival on the earth was the fulfillment of a prophecy spoken hundreds of years before his birth. That prophecy is actually one of the most well-known scripture passages shared during this time of the year. And it's where we're going to begin our journey today. So if you would, please... If you have your Bibles or your Bible app on your phone, make sure it's on silent. Uh, go pull up Isaiah 9, chapters 
chapter 9, verses 2 through 7, and we're looking in the New International Version. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's feast, defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For, us to, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so the backdrop to his writing in 740 B.C., thereabouts, was poor leadership. And I don't know how many of you have experienced poor leadership in your lives at some point. I know sometimes in the workplace, leadership can be fail, uh, pretty lacking. And as a result, uh, you feel pretty defeated. In essence, you lose hope. You lose hope that anything's going to get better. The people of Israel have been suffering through the reigns of four ungodly kings. Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. They were corrupt and had led the people far from God. It was a very dark time in history. Isaiah wrote these words knowing God would have to intervene to bring Israel back to himself. The kingdom was crumbling and the people needed hope. And the passage makes two major statements. The first is an acknowledgement of the brokenness and darkness that surrounded Israel due to sin and corruption. It's just, it's a plain statement of fact. There is brokenness and darkness all around due to sin and corruption. The second is the hope of a dawning light through the birth of a child who would one day make all things right. The Jewish people in the Old Testament needed these words to remind them that God had not forgotten about them or forsaken them. And that second statement really hits home for me. I love how Isaiah used the Hebrew tendency or pattern of repetition in some of the uh, writings to drive home a point. He states, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. He's telling us that the hope of the world is coming into it as a child. It couldn't be any plainer. It is to me an amazing mystery that the Savior of the world would come into it as a child. Helpless, weak, dependent, always in need of someone to care for it. And I don't know about you, but these are hardly the ideas that come to mind for me with the initial thought of thinking of a Savior, a conqueror, Someone on whom we're going to rest all of our hope. And Jesus' ministry was just so beautiful. He went from that child to God in the flesh as a man and carried out his ministry. And I love Philippians 2, 6 through 11 in the NIV as well. 
To me, it so beautifully depicts the very nature of Jesus and his time on earth. Starting in chapter, uh, verse 6, sorry. Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So if Jesus was willing to humble himself and be obedient to the point of death, how could I not have hope? How could I not have hope if I'm a believing Christian? He sacrificed himself and was obedient to the point of death. The book of Matthew also reminds us of Isaiah's writings. Matthew was making the connection between what Isaiah had prophetically written and what had taken place in a manger in Bethlehem. And we read in Matthew 1, 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Can you imagine being Joseph? I'll ask the guys here. Can you imagine being Joseph, young Jewish man, who was presented with, one might say, an almost impossible decision to make. He was already engaged to be married to a woman named Mary. But she was already pregnant. Small problem there you know, in Old Testament society. Deuteronomy 22 details the various circumstances and consequences of marriage violations. I'm not going to go into all of them, but specific to Joseph and his situation, we read in Deuteronomy 22, 20 and 21. If, however, the charge is true and no proof of the young woman's virginity can be found, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house, and there the men of her town shall stone her to death. She has done an outrageous thing in Israel by being promiscuous while still in her father's house. You must purge the evil from among you. Again, what a dilemma Joseph must have faced. In fact, Joseph would have well been in his rights and indeed his duty to expose her sin and witness her execution. After all, Mary had only, and I'll use that in air quotes, only the story of an angel to explain to her parents and to Joseph what had happened. Joseph planned to call the wedding off because it appeared his bride-to-be had been unfaithful. But just like Mary... A messenger in the form of an angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph in a dream and told him to go forward with the marriage because the child in her womb was from the Holy Spirit. All of these events took place to fulfill the prophecy from the Old Testament, which claimed there would be a child born as a light in the darkness and a hope for all people. 
The child will be named Emmanuel, which means God with us, even in the midst of darkness. So there are three main points I would like to explore as we continue our message today. The first is the presence of darkness threatens our hope. And the center of the Christmas story is focused squarely on the birth of Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the Israelites' hope that God will push back the darkness and shine a bright light into the world. One of the reasons Christmas resonates in our hearts is because we too live in a world that is similar to ancient Israel. We have never any reminders on the news, social media, other platforms that the world we live in is dark and corrupt, just like around the time of when Isaiah wrote that wonderful passage. It is all to do with the fact sin so easily entangles us and causes us to stray. There is war, disease, conflict, oppression. It's all around us. We too are in need of the Christ child to usher in a light to push back the darkness around us. Christmas is a reminder that whatever it is we hope for in our lives, healing, restoration, forgiveness, maybe even a fresh start, it is available to us through Emmanuel, who is God with us. Hope is not a result of the absence of conflict, difficulty, struggle, or trial. Hope is a result of the presence of God. And I want to read that again and bring it home. Hope is not a result of the absence of conflict, difficulty, struggle, or trial. Hope is a result of the presence of God. The second point I'd like to bring out is God's presence has come to give us hope. I don't know about you, but sometimes the thing we need most is the thing we have least of. Any guess what that is? Patience. If you ask my wife, she'd tell you. Patience helps us endure the weight as we travel, hopefully, towards some goal or destination. The hard part about hope is that it often takes longer than we would like for our wishes to be fulfilled. Like the Jewish people experienced, hope requires patience. And to use to illustrate this story should be a picture of the Agave Americana. Oh, look at that, it worked. The Agave Americana. It's also known as a century plant. And it thrives in rocky, dry, mountainous desert locations and grows splayed leaves that grow to be a foot wide. This plant can reach 12 feet in diameter and grow to be 6 feet tall. Perhaps its most unusual trait is its long reproduction cycle. For 20 to 30 years, the plant remains the same height, puts out no new flowers, nothing happens. But suddenly and without warning, a new bud will sprout. Resembling a tree trunk sized asparagus spear, it will rise into the sky at a rate of seven inches per day. Seven inches per day, wow. Until it reaches a height of 20 to 40 feet. Then it culminates with a crown of several clumps of yellow blossoms that last for three to four weeks. Similar to the century plant, some of the greatest answers to our hoping and longing take time and patience in order to see the beauty truly unfold. Isaiah saw that one day in the future, God would bring a great light and salvation through the birth of a child. 
It was not until hundreds of years later that Matthew recorded Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. Jesus is the very presence of God on earth. He offers forgiveness of sin, destruction of evil, and the promise of eternal life. So why do we read Isaiah's prophecy each year during Christmas? I believe it's because we seeing the faithfulness of God <clears throat> in the past gives us deep and abiding hope in the present and unwavering trust for the future. The Apostle Paul made an appeal for hope to those who trust in Christ as he wrote a letter to the early church in Rome. And we read in Romans 15:4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Paul said everything that had been written in the past, all of the prophecy, all of the fulfillment, is meant to teach us how to hold on to faith in God to answer our prayers. What has been written gives us endurance and encouragement that we might have hope. It is important that we revisit the prophetic words of the Old Testament and the fulfillment that comes through the birth of Jesus because it reminds us that God can be trusted to come through and meet us in our greatest time of need. The last point I'll bring out today Sorry, it gets a little dry. I'm not used to talking this much. At the heart of Christmas is hope. I think we as Christians should embrace that idea. Though there are many distractions during the Christmas season, this message is meant to be a reminder that hope is offered to us through Jesus' arrival in the manger. Without his arrival in the manger, none of it starts. The prophet Isaiah foretold of our greatest source of hope in his writing. As we read the Gospels, we see Jesus' ministry carried out in a way that tells us Isaiah was exactly right. Jesus is someone on whom we need to place all our hope. He conquered death so that sin and death no longer have an eternal hold on us. <clears throat> There's an old hymn I remember singing with my parents and grandparents in church. And when I tell you we were at church, um, probably this section right here would be the most people we ever had. I mean, it was, we just, we weren't, they weren't very big churches, not many people attended. Um, but I was blessed by to have parents and grandparents that took us and made us go. This hymn provides a declaration of placing our hope in Jesus Christ. And so this is the interactive portion of the programming today. Uh, <clears throat> you're going to sing with me. Um, I noticed some voices out here that can sing, so I'm, ba I'm banking on you. We're going we're to sing the first verse and chorus together. And as you sing, embrace the words and their meaning and please sing it with the conviction it deserves. So those lyrics, words, should be up on the screen. Oh, beautiful. Look at that. Teamwork. Give me one more. <clears throat> All right, we're going to do this together. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. 
On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. He did such a great job, we're going to do it one more time. But listen, the first line, my hope is built on nothing less. Let's do that again. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Amen. It kind of says it all, doesn't it? Our hope is built on nothing less. So in August 2019, we received a call one morning that Lori's dad, Russell, had suffered a stroke. We knew very little at the time of the first phone call. We had a ton of uncertainty, but we had hope. Russell was admitted to UNC Chapel Hill for treatment. We met his attending physician who shared with us a very bleak medical prognosis. The doctor was trying to prepare us, I think, for the idea that medically there wasn't much reason for hope. But we had hope. Russell was in the hospital for nine days. His condition deteriorated to the point where he needed emergency surgery to reduce the pressure in his brain because of the swelling. Even through this ordeal, we had hope. Finally, at the end of what was a long and arduous taxing nine days, the doctor said there was nothing more they could do for him medically. They asked us if we knew his wishes and blessedly, we did. He would not want to exist like he was. Some might say, surely at that point you lost your hope. He's going to die. No, not at all. We still had hope. But our hope changed from a perspective focused on earthly healing to eternal life in heaven. A hope offered to us, as just mentioned a few minutes ago, through Jesus' arrival in the manger. So, the source of our hope pivoted a little bit. Russell was a man who served this country and those around him each and every day I knew him. Russell was a man who always seemed to look out for the needs of others. His wife, Julia, his daughters, Lori and Amy, extended family, children with needs in the community, American veterans, the list goes on and on and on. Russell had a servant's heart, and I know in my bones that he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. It is because Russell placed hope in Jesus Christ that we didn't lose hope as a family, but because we knew there would be restoration and healing that would come when he was in the presence of Jesus in heaven. I'm a nurse. I've seen families who've lost a lot of hope for a medical miracle, medical miracle for their loved one. 
those who did not have a relationship with Jesus seem to struggle more. And the simple answer is this. When their loved one died, in their mind, that was the end. That's it. Done. Period. There was no thought of everlasting life. There was no hope for eternal life in heaven. I can't imagine what an empty feeling that must be for a family. I encourage you to assess where you place your hope in life. Do you hope for certain outcomes, but drown yourself with worry instead of praying to our Almighty Father to intercede on your behalf? Sometimes we just need to let him handle it in his time. Sometimes our human lack of patience can interfere with letting God do his work. And I want to repeat this again. As mentioned earlier, hope is not a result of the absence of conflict, difficulty, struggle, or trial. Hope is a result of the presence of God. We as Christians are blessed to always have hope, even when life seems the bleakest. We have hope in a Christ child, born of a virgin in a lowly manger in Bethlehem all those years ago. During this most blessed time of the year, I encourage each and every one of you to focus on the real meaning of Christmas. Jesus isn't found under the tree on December 25th. I think we all know that. Jesus is found by making a decision to acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior and to follow the teachings of his ministry as outlined in the Gospels. I'm sure we've all heard the statement, Jesus is the reason for the season. Sounds a little corny when you say it. But as Christians, isn't it true? Jesus is the reason for the season for us. We celebrate the birth of Jesus on whom, hang, on whom we hang all our trust and hope. Jesus is truly the hope that lives in the heart of Christmas. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you this morning in need of hope. Hope that you are faithful and have provided all we need by sending your Son to us. We ask that the light of this life, his life, would shine into our lives and lift our heads from our daily struggles. We offer to you the areas of our lives where we need your presence daily. We trust you today with our very lives and look forward to seeing how you will come through for us. Thank you for the hope that can only come from you. Thank you for showing us the heart of Christmas. Amen.